1: Hello, my friends, and welcome to Season 7, Episode 16 of Horror Hill. I'm your host, Eric Peabody, and tonight's episode brings us something a little different. We spend a lot of time on this show taking a look at supernatural horrors, ghoulies and beasties and things that go bump in the night. For my money, though, Some of the most terrifying tales are about actual horrors that you and I might encounter in our day-to-day lives. I'm not talking about getting mugged or stalked or anything overt like that, but something a little more insidious. Quiet, calculating practices to shape the mind of a person, a group, or maybe even a society. Tonight's story, Secret Santa, provides one extreme take on just that. Make sure you're bundled up with a steaming mug of something nice, listener, because this one gets chilly. Do I smell peppermint? You're listening to the standard edition of this program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy ad-free versions of this and hundreds of tales from our audio archives dating back to 2012, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today to get instant access from our friends at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Did I mention they were ad-free? Thank you for your support. And now, from author Nick Carlson, I give you Secret Santa. Let me tell you a true story that I made up. You heard that right. I might not have witnessed it unfurl. I might not have heard it second-hand, third-hand, or twenty-seventh-hand. No one can even prove it happened just the way it did... But I know it really happened. Not because it's a true story. Because it's a common story. On Christmas Day, a family sits around the fireplace, wondering what's keeping their beloved uncle. Turns out, Uncle Beloved hit a patch of black ice on the freeway and spun out of control, head-on into an 18-wheeler. The only upside is that... All he felt was a little pinch. Then comes the phone call. I personally never heard of this specific thing happening, but I know it has happened somewhere to someone. The point is there's a significant swath of people around this country whom the Christmas season fills with dread, depression, and loneliness. Despite generations worth of ingrained attitudes, A culture steeped in yuletide imagery and the perpetuation of good cheer, all it takes is one piece of bad news to tarnish someone, to make an indelible impression on their soul. Or rather, the goulash of emotions and beliefs some call a soul. A drastic, sobering change in their very beings, brought upon simply by the time of year that sort of stuff fascinates me. It's what inspired me to help run those clinical trials decades ago. It convinced me that what I was doing was for a worthy cause, that the ends would justify the means, and that I was a good, chest-thumping patriot. And it's what ultimately tarnished me and turned me into an inadvertent case study in my own procedure. But it's not dread, depression, or loneliness that falls upon me this time of year. It's the guilt of what I've done. The operation was a 12-year program called Secret Santa. We launched it in 1946, I believe. Yes, that was it. While the rest of the country was coming down from the international turmoil of World War II, we shifted gears and got to work. Those first meetings, the pitches, were ironically the worst. No number of charts, visual aids, presentations, or expert testimonies could effectively convince a room full of stuffy, non-creative business suits that our plan would work. All that capital poured into our proofs of concept. The years of R&D all hinged on a nod, a handshake, a signature, some small gesture of affirmation. And, of course, there were concerns for the test subjects' well-being. Despite our heavily researched reassurances that the subjects would walk away unscathed, never knowing what had happened to them... Empathy and short-sightedness proved to be most troublesome barriers. I remember getting so frustrated at one of the suits, an executive from a prestigious toy company, that I had to stop myself from standing up and shouting. This man had produced cartoons and action figures featuring heavily offensive caricatures of Japanese people solely to stoke wartime political tensions and profit off young boys siphoning their father's bigotries. He was the one mulling over ethics. But then that word hit me, profit. These people scarcely saw shades of gray amid the black and white, But there was another color they knew and loved, green. So once we toned down the data, the experiments, the abstracts and amplified the numbers, the predictions, the promises of wanting what was best for all parties involved, then the heads nodded, the hands grasped and scratchy signatures cued the cash faucets to rain down upon us again That was the hard part. We already knew this would work. To best explain Secret Santa, it would be appropriate to recount the story of Carolyn. Carolyn was our golden girl. Six years old, white, upper middle class, Christian family. Dad had just returned home from the Pacific, a more perfect background for a test subject could not have fallen from the sky into our laps. In the summer of 46, her parents had sent her to Bible camp for a week, specifically Black Rock Grove in Canton, North Carolina. I only refer to it by name because it's defunct now. Hell, it was never even a legitimate operation. Black Rock Grove was a lobster pot All we had to do was reach in and pluck one out. Her second night at camp was when we commenced phase one of the trial. It helped young kids sleep like the dead, yet we still administered nitrous oxide as a contingency. I don't recall whose idea it was to lace the gas with peppermint extract, but I remember marveling at the elegant simplicity. Just one more brush stroke to enhance this canvas we were trying to paint. Carolyn awoke in the test site under close observation, but of course, she wasn't aware of any of that. All she knew was she had risen from sleep surrounded by Fraser firs, the smell of evergreen mingling with the peppermint still in her nose. We watched her brush her hand across the needles. No trace of fear in her eyes. Just pleasant befuddlement. For some reason, she knew that Christmas had come early that year. We pumped in cold air, not just to simulate winter weather, but also to keep her from dawdling. If she had examined the polymer snow around her or looked up and peered past the shadows to find the night sky was really just a few ceiling tiles masked in darkness... It could have delayed progress on the trial drastically. Regardless, she pushed through the trees and found herself on the threshold of a rustic log cabin. Upon entering the cabin, she discovered, well, just about the perfect Christmas morning. Tree twinkling with rainbow bulbs. A crackling fire in the hearth. Fake, of course. She could have stuck her hand in the flames and not felt a thing. Bing Crosby piping through a record player, and presents spilling out from under the branches, more than even a privileged little girl like her had ever remembered receiving. Carolyn dashed over to them and opened them one at a time, overwhelmed by the shining colors and the treasures that lay within. The most wanted toys of the times, the desire of every little girl dollies with all their accessories, teddies, model houses, and even a few bottles of play makeup. We watched her play for 15 minutes, down to the last second. We did not want the risk of her growing bored or concerned. Then we cued our actor. The flames died down and Santa Claus descended the chimney. Preoccupied with dress-up, Carolyn didn't even notice until he had fully emerged from the fireplace, covered in a light dusting of ash, silver bells in his suit jangling. As we had hoped, the expression on her face was mystified, yet ecstatic. We knew she had been getting close to that age of doubting Santa, of asking questions about flying reindeer and elves. Now, all those years of developmental progress were nullified. Our Santa gave a warm smile and delved into the script. "'Merry Christmas, Carolyn! You really stood out to me of all the boys and girls on my list!' "'Me?' she whispered. "'That's right,' Santa said with a wink. You were a very good girl this year. Why else would you receive all these amazing presents? Was I that good? Carolyn replied, glancing at the discarded wrapping paper. I don't remember being that good. Is... is it even Christmas time? We had planned for this. Oh, Carolyn, of course it's Christmas time! Santa boomed jovially. "'I'm standing right here, aren't I? Unless...,' his jolly face turned sober. "'You don't believe it's Christmas time. You don't believe in me?' "'Oh no, Santa!' Carolyn rushed forward and tackled him with a hug. Her arms barely encompassed the girth of his belly. "'No, no, no, Santa, of course I believe in you. I do, I do!' There we go, he cooed, patting her head. I knew you were good for a reason. When she finally let go, Santa genuflected and raised a gloved finger. Now listen closely, Carolyn. Because you were so good this year, I'm going to ask you a very special favor. She nodded, eyes glowing with attention. I want you to keep a secret for me, and don't you tell anyone!" Santa leaned in, cupping a hand over her ear. There are other ways of being good, and there are much better rewards than presents under the tree. Like what? said Carolyn. But Santa pressed his finger to his lips. I'll tell you that next Christmas. In the meantime, though, will you continue to be the best little girl on my list? Of course, Santa, Carolyn smiled. I will, I promise. Very good, Santa gave another wink. I have to get going now. There are lots more houses to visit, but I assure you I won't be sticking around them as long. Carolyn laughed. "'Goodbye, Santa Claus.' He stepped up into the hearth and gave a friendly wave. Obscured by the chimney, the rig lowered down, snagged the hook fitted in the back of his suit, and hoisted him back up. The flames blossomed back to life. Beaming, Carolyn returned to her toys. Once our actor was secured in the green room, we pumped more nitrous oxide into the air, this time laced with scents of hot chocolate and warm milk. Within a minute, Carolyn was drowsy again, and after three, she was fast asleep on the carpet next to the fire. We carted her out of the facility and back into her cabin above ground. She would not remember what happened that night, but the experience, the sensory imprints, and the swelling emotions, Those would remain stuck in her brain like a cyst. That was phase one.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I
1: We moved in at the end of the week. Carolyn's last night at camp, fast asleep after five summer days of group activities and Bible studies. We administered the gas again as a trigger, Again, she awoke in the conifer forest. Again, she pushed her way through the artificial winter and found the same log cabin. Inside, the exact same setup, bursting with Christmas cheer. She explored the room slowly, but with more confidence. She remembered. And most importantly, she was not suspicious. In her mind, it was just another Christmas that had come. Resolutely, she grabbed the first present she saw and opened it up, pulling out the dolly and walking it across the carpeted floor. That's when we administered the first shock. Carolyn screamed and practically threw the doll. She stared at it with confusion, rubbing her palms, whimpering against the pulsing discomfort. The doll sat innocently in the corner of the room, gazing at her with those saccharine eyes. Carolyn gave a frown and turned her back on it, moving on to the next present. The yo-yo was a lovely bright red, but when Carolyn went to try it out, it too sent an electric shock up her hand. A quivering bottom lip accompanied the second yelp of pain. We observed her then with a sort of suppressed anxiety tearing open present after present, each of its contents delivering a shock. Eventually, she stopped, leaving nearly two-thirds of them untouched, staring at the discarded, innocuous toys the same way a rodent stares at mousetraps. Then, we cued our Santa to come down the chimney again. "'Santa!' Carolyn cried, rushing up to the fat man." "'Something's wrong. All these presents are hurting me.' "'Yes, little girl,' Santa replied, stroking his beard. "'How I wish there was another way to do this.' "'What do you mean?' Carolyn pouted. "'Where are my real presents, ones that won't hurt me?' Santa smiled again, but without any of the warmth from their last encounter, as per direction.' "'Little girl, I've been watching you all year, and I must say, I'm not impressed.' The girl's eyes went shiny. "'What?' "'You've become possessive,' Santa said regretfully, shaking his head. "'You only think about yourself. Christmas isn't about toys or sweets or silly games anymore.' It's come time for you to grow up and leave all these things behind. He swept a hand across the toys spread out across the floor. Santa, no! Carolyn went in for a hug. I've been good, I promise! Santa pushed her away. I'm afraid, little girl, that just isn't good enough. The tears broke. She slunk away from him like a scared puppy, sobbing in the corner. What what about the secret? Hmm, what do you mean? Santa mused, stroking his beard again, his gaze averted from the crying child. Last Christmas you... you said you'd tell me a secret. She choked, wiping her nose. Are you not gonna tell me now? The fat man gave a sigh. "'I guess so. A promise is a promise.' He straightened up, his rotund physique a monolith towering over her. "'There's more to Christmas than these selfish things,' he explained in a dry, lecturing tone. "'This glittering, sugary magic you know now is gone. There exists magic beyond what you're capable of knowing.' Carolyn sniffled. What sort of magic? Santa shook his head. I'm afraid that's for me to know and you to find out. He turned back to the hearth. Wait, Carolyn pleaded. Don't go. I have many more houses to visit, he said as the rig lowered down. In the meantime, work on making yourself better. The rig winched him up. Carolyn dashed towards the fireplace. We watched her throw herself into the hearth to catch one last glimpse of him, but the hatch had already closed, and there was nothing but impenetrable darkness between her and the green room above. She crawled out of the hearth and fell to her knees, hands clasped to her face. We watched with fascination, a small amount of disgust with ourselves. We were all thinking about how cruel this seemed, how elaborate our construction and deconstruction of this destroying fantasy was. But those feelings did not linger for long. As we triggered the gas again, unscented this time, and watched her fall into another amnesiac slumber, we knew everything would be fine. That was phase two. For three years, we kept tabs on little Carolyn. In that time, they had welcomed a baby boy into their family, and a few holiday seasons had passed in which Carolyn had to learn to adjust to Christmas mornings that weren't just about her. And she suffered through those winters. She would fall into depressive episodes and tell anyone who would listen about the sort of dreams she would have, half-baked ghostly recollections of Santa Claus on Christmas morning, calling her horrible and selfish, urging her to grow up and taunting her with promises of strange magic she was too stupid to understand. This was all great news. Although she was still too young to grapple with these intense themes fully, the fact that it had taken up residence in her psyche proved that the trial was proceeding according to plan. Mentally, she had moved past the childish self-centeredness of Christmas and was open to malleability. When she was nine and December rolled around, triggering her depression again, her parents finally relented and took her to see a child psychiatrist, Dr. Floyd Mencken. Again, I only mention him by name because you can probably guess whom he was affiliated with. Dr. Mencken welcomed Carolyn into his study and informed her parents that it would be a closed session for the first time. As soon as the oak wood doors closed, Dr. Mencken donned a gas mask, and Carolyn hadn't the energy to shout as the peppermint-scented gas flooded the room once more. She came to in the evergreen forest, nervous with recognition. She had undoubtedly seen this place before in her, Sort of dreams. Like a movie where you know what happens next, she pushed through the fronds and through the front door of the log cabin. We'd made a few alterations to the scene for phase three. There were no Christmas presents under the tree, but in the center of the room, on the carpet, was a crib. Carolyn inched towards the crib and peered over the railing her face registering repulsion. There, squirming in a bundle of blankets, was a baby doll. A mannequin, specifically. Eerily lifelike and fully articulated. Except for the face, a perfect plastic mold of her baby brother Cameron's, blankly frozen amid the exciting movement. As she stared in bewilderment, the mannequin started to cry, piercing robotic shrieks that even got under our skins. Hands pressed to her ears, she wandered the room, looking around wildly for anything to make the crying stop. With no available options, she tried leaving the way she had come, but not even a cannon could have broken through the titanium locks we'd engaged. She pounded on the door, shouting for help, trying to make herself heard over the mannequin's crying, now having looped the same audio track four times. If not for her desperation, she might have noticed what we'd dropped down the chimney. Eventually, a bit longer than we'd anticipated, but it did happen. She saw the Christmas present sitting at the base of the hearth. Her demeanor flipped like a light switch. No more agitation or despair, no signs of even registering the antagonizing noise. She drifted over to the present and opened it slowly, like a student dissecting a frog. She hesitated, picking up the rattle, some shadow of a memory implying that there might be pain. But no electricity came this time. We saw the connection click in her eyes, and she wandered back to the crib, placing the rattle on the screaming mannequin's open, inert hand. The crying ceased immediately. We observed her pick up the mannequin, holding it softly, cradling its head, as she'd learned with her own sibling. The saline solution we'd triggered to leak from its eyes added to that cunning authenticity. We allowed her to have a few quiet moments, and then we cued our Santa actor. He didn't leave the green room this time. Instead, his amplified voice piped down the chimney. You've been improving, Carolyn, said Santa. But you're not quite there yet. Uneasy recognition brightened in Carolyn's face as she turned to the hearth a sprinkle of ash trickled down from above her, goading her to approach. See what happens when we do things for others, he implored. See how many problems we can solve, for this is the greatest gift of all, the gift of giving. As she peered up the chimney, we triggered the gas. Within the hour, Carolyn was walking out of Dr. Mencken's office, and Dr. Mencken was relaying to her parents how much progress they'd made that day, and that they were to schedule more sessions with him once a month until optimum results had been achieved. That was phase three. As Carolyn grew older, the imagery associated with her dreams became fuzzier. This was good. We wanted the physical sensations associated with the trials to fade over time, but the emotional impact on remaining the same to ensure that the new behaviors we wanted would appear spontaneous, organic, involuntary. Of course, all those sensory aspects would come roaring back with our environmental triggers, it was important to have to recall that hidden, shadowy part of her life whenever the occasion arose. By the time she hit 14, the nation was deep in the maw of the Red Scare. Our test subjects, now teenagers, their heads swimming with propaganda about the communist threat and nuclear Armageddon, were freshly tilled for more creative sessions. For many, it was a headache or a nightmare. For us, it was an opportunity. The next time Carolyn found herself in the log cabin, the scenario had changed drastically. There was no tree or presence. The fireplace was lifeless, and the music piping from the record player was slow and atonal. She could only stand on the threshold and stare in horror and confusion at what lay before her. The victim's face was covered with a burlap sack, but he was obviously an old, corpulent man stripped down to a pair of briefs. Cables and nodes bound him to a wooden chair. Wires snaked from the rig and ran up the walls like creeping vines. This trial could only be completed with forward progress. Naturally, Carolyn turned and fled when she saw our setup, sprinting out the front door and back into the pine forest. But the undergrowth was too thick to push past. You have to help me, girl, the victim pleaded when he heard Carolyn re-enter. They caught me. They made me like this. Who? said Carolyn, her voice small. "'They did!' he growled, struggling against his restraints. "'The Soviets! Those godless bastards! Please, Carolyn, you must free me from this trap!' Her eyes widened. "'Wait, how do you know my name?' This was all part of the script. The victim looked up at her, the bag shifting around his face. Because, many years ago, I marked you on my list as a good little girl. One of the best." Her lips parted. No. No, 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 this isn't real, she muttered, turning back to the door. You were never real. You're just made up. It was just a dream. This is real, you small-minded, impotent child! Santa roared, straining against the cables. They kidnapped me and made me this way because they want to come for you next. Lord knows what more they'll destroy. No, Carolyn shouted, covering her ears and turning away. I hate these childish dreams. I want them to stop. Save me, you little brat. Santa howled, throwing his head back. "'You'll do more than you know if you leave me to them!' "'Okay, okay!' she screamed, stamping the ground. She rushed over to the bound man and tugged on the cables, but a spark flared across her hands, and she recoiled with a yelp. "'No, no!' Santa scolded. "'There should be a lever on the wall.' They said that would be the key to my release. What does that mean? Carolyn said, eyeing the large rusty lever stationed next to the door. No questions! Pull the lever! The fat man demanded. Her face screwed up, Carolyn rushed to the lever and yanked on it. It was stiff and slow to engage, but she squeezed it tight and practically hung off of it until it budged. Overhead, lights above blazed to life, the cold, heartless, whitish-pink of fluorescence. Electric humming filled the air, and Santa Claus let out a bellow of pain, thrashing in his chair as the nodes exploded with voltage. Oh my god! Carolyn shouted, pushing the lever back up. I'm sorry! It has to work! Santa seethed, slumped over and breathing raggedly. Just... just do it! The tears came through again as she pulled the lever again. Santa spasmed and stiffened as the fluorescent lights glowed again. The hum was like a symphony of monotone, accompanied by the one-man choir of death emanating from Santa's throat. It... has... To work! Santa gasped. More! I'm sorry! Carolyn cried, engaging the lever again. I'm sorry, Santa Claus! Stop talking! He roared. Do it! She blubbered incoherently, trembling at the knees. We watched with silent fascination. Regression. We concluded, giving each other knowing looks. Years of confidence, maturity, and growth trounced in a heartbeat. With each subtle tick of the lever, the lights intensified, the hum became a buzz, and Santa almost jumped from the chair, threatening to topple it over. What is this doing? Carolyn screamed trying to make herself heard over the electrified agony. I don't understand! Please, I'm sorry! Santa only let out a guttural rasp. His hands were curled into fists. His veins were pulsating worms under his skin. Letting out one final yell, Carolyn yanked the lever down all the way. The lights exploded, the electric growl died away, and Santa fell limp, the chair emitting smoke, the acrid scent of burnt hair and flesh lingering through the room. Entranced by the carnage she'd incurred, Carolyn failed to notice the Christmas present tumbling down the chimney. We had to cue a bicycle bell sound effect to grab her attention. Making the connection, she rushed over to the present and unwrapped it. She gingerly plucked out a nondescript silver key, staring at it for a moment. Then she meandered over to the limp body, holding the key as if presenting a priceless treasure. The look on her face was just sheer, unyielding nothingness complete forfeiture of any doubt and inclination to return to the reality she once knew. Carolyn was ours, our perfect little test subject. Examining the body, Carolyn found the thick, old-fashioned lock binding the cables together at Santa's side. She unlocked it. It fell away and the wires shredded off, flopping to the ground in a heap. Our Santa showed no signs of life. His skin was crispy and marked with black striations. Carolyn's lip trembled. In her mind, she had killed Santa Claus. She had been subjected to one end of torture of the most insidious design, propagated by the vilest and most shadowy of her nation's enemies. But then... Santa stood up. Carolyn yelped, scrambling away from the burnt, walking corpse, the bag still covering his head, which had locked onto her with a hidden gaze. See what you had to do to save Christmas, he croaked. Even his voice sounded grisly and charred. To preserve the status quo... You killed me, Carolyn. I saw the light. I watched my spirit flee from my body. Go away, Carolyn pleaded, making contact with the far wall. I hate you. Now, that's not very nice, Santa simpered, approaching her like a ravening hound. "'Wouldn't you have pulled that lever if you did not love me?' She looked away, attempting to resist the cold, confounding logic. We could see it in her face. Her attempts would be in vain. "'To save the spirit of Christmas,' Santa continued, word for word from the script. "'Sometimes you must brutalize it first keep it alive by killing it over and over again. Is that clear?" No, Carolyn protested. Put it this way, girl, Santa sneered, lowering his bagged face near hers. If you had left me to flounder in that chair, the Reds would have won they'd have held onto that key and ravaged everything you knew and loved. The only reason this country limps along and you can live in smiley bliss is because horrors are committed to keeping them at bay, even if that includes killing Christmas. We queued the gas to flood the room again. Carolyn slumped down the wall, clawing at the air as amnesiac sleep overtook her. "'All those values... those values of the season you've learned... forget them!' Santa hissed. "'If it means doing the right thing!' When she was completely out, our actor removed the sack from his head revealing the oxygen tube supported in his mouth. He walked toward the rig in the chimney, the prosthetics and burn makeup barely hindering his movements. Carolyn had also failed to notice the skin-colored cosmetic product that had flaked off his body and exposed the wounds when we'd cued the electricity, really just a mild application of heat. We could have celebrated then, Our most elaborate and creative setup had transpired without a hitch, but there was still one phase left. We gave it a few more years before enacting the final trial. The trauma of electrifying Santa Claus to death needed adequate time to sink into our subject's psyche. Plus, as Carolyn teetered on the cusp of being 18 years old, she was also about to enter society as a useful, productive adult. We apprehended her after her high school prom. The alcohol her peers had snuck in had done well to incapacitate her, but we applied the scented gas anyway to dredge that mindset one last time. Not this again... She muttered upon coming around in the pine forest. What the fuck did they put in that punch? Thankfully, the soundproof walls were enough to conceal our laughter. Then it was back to business. Like a well rehearsed play, Carolyn pushed through the forest, needles and branches snagging on her pretty turquoise dress. She shivered against the artificial cold almost bursting eagerly into the warmth of the log cabin. Same tree, same crackling fire, same Christmas carols through the record player. Yet the opposite wall was dominated by a set of bay doors held shut by a padlock. Carolyn subconsciously knew what to expect. A lone present sat under the tree. She wasted no time opening it up, removing the silver key and unlocking the doors, throwing them up with a noisy clatter. Only the dark hallway beyond was new to her. She was hesitant, but endowed with new confidence as she crept forward toward the light of the room at the end of the chamber. By this point, she understood she was a rat in a maze. Only by embracing the adversity would she nab the prize, Room 2 featured another man tied to a chair. Despite the inclusion of another sack over his face, he clearly wasn't Santa Claus. Younger, thinner, trembling with dread. And unlike our Santa, he more fell under the category of an involunteer. He babbled breathlessly in a strange tongue that Carolyn seemed to vaguely recognize, the language of the time's unseen national enemy. A new voice belted from the nearby chimney. I was hoping you'd come to help, Carolyn, said Santa. This is one of the communist rats who kidnapped me and forced us into that horrible torture. It would befit the spirit of the season to do something about him. I'd do it myself, but I am in no condition. Our previous trial has left me a mere ghost of myself. The involunteer continued to beg, but his Russian words had little effect on Caroline as she regarded him stonily. What do you want me to do, Santa Claus? She murmured. A new present fell down the chimney. Carolyn retrieved it and opened it like it was all routine. Its contents were shocking, yet not wholly surprising. It's amazing how ingrained the Christmas season is within the national subconscious, Santa explained as Carolyn pulled out the handgun, her eyes wide. Kill Christmas? This country goes down with it. Economies collapse. Faith dies. Every day the communists bang on our front doors, calling for Christmas time's head. Perhaps we ought to answer. Carolyn's gaze flitted from the involunteer to the gun resting in her palm. This hesitation was fully expected. Santa continued with the script. Without Christmas, there's no money. With no money comes no love. With no love comes no family. And if you tear down a family, there is no country. This is what these people seek to rip away from us. Deny them that chance, Carolyn." As if hypnotized, Carolyn meandered to the victim, the gun rising to waist level. We knew her father had taught her to shoot, But now, this fresh, disturbing context had dispelled all she had learned before. The involunteer's speech became indecipherable. He was shaking his head. Sweat visibly ran down his body. Carolyn squeezed her eyelids shut. Her hand trembled, but her finger managed to flex. The click of the empty chamber seemed as loud as any gunshot. The involunteer had slumped over silently. We suspected he had fainted. Shocked at her own gall, Carolyn dropped the weapon. Wonderful work, Carolyn, Santa mused. No blood will be shed by your hand, but you killed him in your heart. That is all that is needed. To her right, another set of bay doors opened. Carolyn quickly vacated room two, leaving the unconscious man to his dubious fate, and ran down the hallway to room three. We had updated the Cameron mannequin, aging him up to his early teens. This time, however, it was suspended in the air on a noose around its neck swaying slightly above a giant industrial meat grinder on the floor. As soon as Carolyn took in the scene, we activated the machine. The spiked rollers began to run, emitting a rumbling whir, and the rope began to lower, almost imperceptibly slowly. "'Would you let your brother die?' Santa's voice asked. "'If you could save him otherwise?' She looked around frantically and saw the other set up. At the base of the chimney laid a pile of presents. She dashed over to the presents and hurriedly opened one up and she immediately threw it away in disgust. The box landed on its side and its contents spilled out. The cow heart had long since putrefied. God damn it, she cursed, wiping her hands on her dress. (laughs) they are not for you, Santa's cold voice laughed. Have you regressed to selfishness so easily? Carolyn stammered, stealing frantic glances at the strung-up mannequin, Cameron's face frozen blankly on it. It was almost halfway to the meat grinder. We watched uneasily from our observation room. For the first time with this subject... Doubt began to creep in. Had we made this stage too obtuse? But then her face snapped with realization. She picked up a second present, unwrapped it, and dumped the severed pig's foot into the meat grinder. It coughed and sputtered as if jammed, but continued chugging. A machine of its caliber could make short work of a live horse without so much as a hiccup. But, of course that wasn't the point of this trial. The mannequin had lowered beyond the halfway point. Carolyn tore open the next present and tossed its contents, a pile of dead feeder mice, into the grinder. It stalled temporarily, but it wasn't enough. Grimacing, she resorted to grabbing the boxes and lobbing them whole into the grinder present after present disappeared down the grinder's gullet. It shrieked and groaned in protest, spitting up shredded cardboard and wrapping paper. "'Come on, come on!' she pleaded, throwing them in two at a time. The mannequin's dangling feet were a few inches from the grinder's teeth. Finally, we disengaged the grinder after what we determined would be the final gift— The whirring noises lowered in pitch and the rollers slowed to a stop, caked in bloodied garbage. That wasn't perfect, said Santa as Carolyn exhaled and wiped her brow, but you passed. That is the price of keeping the Christmas season alive. It's an appetite for things to be satisfied with the gift of giving or we risk letting our loved ones get consumed, too. Carolyn gazed morbidly at the blatantly passive expression on Mannequin Cameron's face, but then the next set of doors opened and Carolyn quickly vacated the space for room four. Room four was dominated by a massive mahogany table laden with Christmas presents. Carolyn circled the table observing them warily. The chimney was silent. It wasn't until she leaned in and examined the tags on the presents that she saw this room's glaring distinction. Instead of names, twos or from's, their tags were labeled with common desirable outcomes. Everlasting love, drunken bliss, amazing sex, eternal happiness, world peace she turned to the chimney as if expecting an explanation but our santo was instructed to remain silent tentatively she reached for the present labeled eternal happiness but its metal surface transferred an electric shock up her fingertips and she recoiled with a yell she groaned squeezing her fingertips We could almost see her shrink down to her six-year-old past, shocking herself repeatedly on an electrically-charged collection of toys. Objective truth shocked her next. Each erroneous sting seemed to weaken her resolve. Her motions became shy and awkward, every subsequent shock appearing to hurt her more and more, despite the voltage throughout remaining consistent. Unyielding faith also induced pain. The seventh present she touched delivered no shock. It was labeled undying patriotism. Spurned by the lack of pain, she tore it open and pulled out another silver key. She looked at the next set of bay doors. It was held shut with five padlocks, her fist closed around key number one as she resumed her search. It took her four guesses until economic stewardship yielded key number two. Two more guesses until frugal super sense" yielded key number three. Keys four and five were found in capitalist vigor and yuletide cheer. Those had been recovered without any further errors. Well done, Carolyn. Santa's voice louded as Carolyn undid the bay door's locks with her keys. I'm glad you've come to learn what makes the Christmas season worth fighting for. What you must hold above all else this time of year. Carolyn opened the door the words seeming to buffet over her like a crashing wave. But the final room still took her breath away. It was a department store aisle, an interminable hallway flanked by metal shelves, lit by harsh overhead fluorescent rods. Signposts lined the path forward like an honor guard, broadcasting their urgent exclamatory slogans. Sails! Get them before they're gone. For that special someone. Savings here. She stepped into the aisle, ignoring the bay doors locking behind her, and observed the shelves on either side. They were all devoid of products, with only a few tags and scraps of paper remaining. The tinny music emanating from speakers above garbled eerily. The whole place had an unpleasant yellow tinge. Even from the observation room, we could almost smell the cleaning solutions and musty cardboard. Our design department had really pulled out all the stops. When Carolyn traversed about half the length of the desolate aisle, she saw it. The lone Christmas present on a pedestal at the far end, surrounded by miniature spotlights. The music cut out, and Santa's voice came through. Hot ticket items, he explained, his voice reverberating off the shelves. That is the lifeblood of Christmas. That is what puts breath into this country's lungs. That is how we ward off threats, save ourselves, and make each other feel worthwhile. It seems there was a sale at this particular store and you missed out. Save for one. It's yours. You want it. You need it. Carolyn strode forward, eyes locked on the present. Show them that you love them, Santa goaded. Show them that you care. Do your part for your country. Buy that gift. She quickened her pace, her high heels clicking on the tile floor. Santa then emitted a dark chuckle. (laughs) But can you make it in time? And at those words, we released our second involunteer. Carolyn stopped and gasped. A haggard, monstrous woman had shambled out from behind the shelf nearest the present. She was a few years older than Carolyn, but tall and ropey with muscle. Her limbs and torso bore constrictive metal braces, and a rig of twisted headgear had been nailed into her skull. Leather straps were plastered across her face, distending her jaw and forcing her tongue to loll out like the first involunteer she was another soviet political prisoner generously donated by the cia but carolyn didn't know that nor did she know that the involunteer had been instructed to grab the present if she wanted to live nevertheless when the woman stumbled toward the present carolyn gave another gasp her fists clenching We held our collective breaths for the moment of truth. Everything we had done culminating in this crucial moment. Carolyn tore down the aisle, reaching the present just as the involunteer's fingers closed around it. She snapped. Her sheer force tore the present from the woman's hands, but it also sent her careening into the wall, knocking over the podium and the spotlights. The involunteer shrieked, and she attacked. We watched as the woman pounced on Carolyn, pinning her to the floor and struck at her with her fists, screaming and blubbering, demented curses. Carolyn screamed too, curling into a ball to shield her face, the present clutched to her chest like her firstborn child. Fight back! We wanted to shout, but could only stare in gritted-toothed fascination as the onslaught commenced. The involunteer punched Carolyn in the back of the skull, and she unraveled for the briefest of moments. The assailant reached down and yanked the present back. She staggered away, holding the present out like it was her own firstborn child, bellowing incoherent noises of delight. Fight back, dammit! ''Have you learned nothing?'' we silently implored. Like a revenant, Carolyn rose to her feet and tackled the involunteer, and they both went down again. Two pairs of hands grabbed the present, and they tugged, hair tangling, saliva flying. They slid into a nearby shelf that rattled and listed on its hinges. The involunteer pressed herself into the shelf and shielded the present underneath her. For the briefest of moments, we considered intervention. But as if possessed by a manic spirit, Carolyn ripped the stiletto heel off her foot and drove it straight into the involunteer's kidney. Screaming, the woman arched her back and exposed the present. Carolyn snatched it up. She flipped onto her back and lunged at Carolyn, but the girl was ready this time. Her other stiletto heel found the soft flesh under the involunteer's ribs. The assailant collapsed, wheezing and sobbing, while Carolyn stumbled backward, arms wrapped protectively around the present. Her eyes seemed to clear as she regarded the weeping mess of a woman before her. Her grip on the present slackened for a moment. The CCTV camera mounted on the wall swiveled towards the involunteer. Unlike the others hidden throughout the various trial rooms, this one was not for observation. The gun mounted inside it went off. Instantly, the involunteer fell still. Carolyn stared frozen at the pool of blood blooming under the woman's skull. We took advantage of the sudden silence and cued our Santa. Absolutely perfect, he louded over the intercom as Carolyn's arms went limp, the present still in her grasp. You won! You've completely embodied the Christmas spirit. As you have seen, some will be left behind but not you, you will go forward and become a crusader for the season. We triggered the gas for the last time. Forget all you have seen, Santa implored as she swayed sleepily, but remember all you have learned. When Carolyn awoke in a hospital not too far from her school, The doctors were informed she had engaged in a drunken scuffle with another student. They assessed her injuries and deemed them insignificant. When pressed about the details of the fight, Carolyn could not recall a single detail. Since they couldn't pin a name or a face, and no one admitted to engaging with her, the case was dropped. She was discharged before noon the next day ready to go out into the world and apply all she had learned. Secret Santa wasn't without its exceptions. Some children did not buy our Santa actor through suspicions or lack of belief. Others failed the later phases and were cut from the program after several more attempts. Carolyn was the standout but the vast majority of them passed. None of the children were killed or severely injured, the worst comparable to Carolyn's cuts and bruises. And, of course, the involunteers we cycled through were simply written off once the program dissolved. At the time, no one cared for a population of unaccounted condemned communists. So, Where is little Carolyn now? She's out there somewhere, in a sense. Turn on the news or take a trip to a retail store on Black Friday, and you will see the fruits of our contagion. You'll see floods of consumers pouring through the doors, fighting over hot ticket items, trampling over each other to take advantage of sales and discounts you see Carolyn and the tens of thousands of others we successfully reprogrammed. A raucous, amorphous, walking infection. The perfect economic storm. It should be no surprise that nearly a trillion dollars of this country's GDP are dedicated to Christmas or that companies, on average, break in nearly a quarter of their profits between November and December. Simply put, the year's final weeks keep this country chugging along, bolstered by consumers overturning the season's supposed virtues of charity and goodwill to all in the name of materiality. And you have us to thank for that. But as for Carolyn's actual whereabouts, I wish I knew. I wish I could find her and the others we reprogrammed. I wish I could sit them down and tell them what we'd done, that their behaviors had rubbed off on an entire country and spread throughout it, independent of our help. I wish I could reverse the process somehow, convince the masses that it was all based on a lie, that it was all a corporate scheme to make money and empower our institutions. I would only feel at peace during this so-called peaceful season. Only then would the guilt I've accumulated recede. Every year I feel for those we influenced, and I feel more for those who were... What were the words our Santa used? Left behind? Those who disappointed their children? Those who lost everything during Christmas? Those who sacrificed their health, or even their lives, to take advantage of the economic bounty we had sown. But then again, if that happened, we'd ruin Christmas. And that wouldn't be the right thing to do, after all. Wouldn't it? You've been listening to Secret Santa by Nick Carlson. Nick has written a number of stories, many of which have been covered on Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. If you enjoy his work, I also narrated his tale, The Plague Ship, back in Season 6 of Horror Hill. Well, everyone, that's it for this episode. I'll be back next week with another chilly and wintry tale for you. In the meantime, I hope you all have a nice night's sleep with dreams of festive cabins, holiday activities, friends and family, and, well, now that I think about it, maybe it would be better if you had some dreamless sleep. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts, and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to me. If you'd like to hear a premium, ad-free edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, including past episodes of this program, all of our other shows, and hundreds of standalone releases, all of them ad-free and available to download or stream. Thanks so much for your time and for giving our sponsors a try today. When you support our sponsors, you help support this show. And that means a lot to me. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. As for me personally, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, username VikingGuitar, and also on Instagram as Viking Guitar Productions. Until next week, listener, when we meet up once again atop the Horror Hill for yet another Dance with Darkness, I bid you good night. Sleep tight, listener, and if you hear scratching at your door, don't open it. The darkness may have found you, but it's up to you to let it in. You've been listening to the Horror Hill Podcast, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's episode was hosted by, and it's featured tale performed by, yours truly, Eric Peabody. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Nikki McSorley and Eric Peabody. Finalization by Craig Groschek and S.K. Brown. Got a terrifying tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your work considered for future production. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, please subscribe to us to make sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on social media to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and our other programs.